Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. We're continuing with the life and ministry of David, and we're actually almost finished with our first segment of the life and ministry of David. Uh, we're going up to where Saul dies and David is going to become the king. We'll take a little break and then we'll continue with the series towards the end of the year. But as for now, as we see David as he's been anointed by Samuel to be king, it's taken a long detour before between the time he was anointed to the time he actually sits on the throne. In between that time, God is doing things in David's life for the purpose of teaching David to trust in God. There are times that it gets so bad that David says this in one of the Psalms, that I had to believe to see the goodness of God. Meaning that things were so bad, he couldn't see the goodness of God. He just had to believe that God was still good and that God was still right. And all of this is to draw him and to teach him, to bring him to the place where he's trusting God completely over every little situation, every little thing. So if you don't mind to take your copy of the Word of God, and we're going to hit 1 Samuel in just a moment, but we want to kick off with Psalm 63. Psalm 63. Notice with me in Psalm 63 in verse 1. O God... Thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory. So as I see thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise thee. Thus Will I bless thee while I live? I will lift up my hands in thy name. My sorrow shall be satisfied as with morrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. Because thou hast been my help. Therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for the foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speaketh lies shall be stopped. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in Psalm 63? Psalm 63, and notice with me verse number 3. Psalm 63 and verse 3, notice the phrase, Thy loving kindness is better than life. 
Thy loving kindness is better than life. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord and let's pray. And we preach a message looking at David's life. Thy loving kindness is better than life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you now, we're just asking that you would help us to understand your word, to understand the psalm, to understand this phrase, to understand that your loving kindness is better than life. I'm asking that we would learn to rejoice in you, to praise you, no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what the circumstances, that we would see your goodness and rejoice in it. I'm asking that you would teach us and draw us close to you today, that we can look at ourselves and be determined to praise your name in all things. Again, fill me with your precious spirit, and you do something wonderful as we examine your scriptures. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if you don't mind, we're going to start off by looking at the historical context, which we found in 1 Samuel chapter 23. We're going to come back to Psalm 63 at the end, but we want to hit the historical context. Many people have already kind of commented in, and, uh, about how the Psalms have opened up just a little bit as we take David's life, show the historical context, then turn around and look at the Psalms. The Psalms are a lot more powerful. They were powerful before, but when you relate them to what David is going through at the moment, he's running for Saul, from Saul and he's singing these songs. He's not just having good days and wonderful things are happening and rainbows and clouds and unicorns and all the fun stuff, and then he's writing a psalm. He's writing these things and praise to God in some of the worst times of his life. If you don't mind to give an example, notice with me in Psalm 20, or sorry, 1 Samuel 23. 1 Samuel 23, and let's see the historical context of what's going on. The first thing I'd like to show you in this context is that David saves Keilah. David saves Keilah. Now what happens is that David has, has um, fl fled from Saul. As he fled from Saul, he, tr he uh, wasn't looking at the Lord and he was trusting in other things. Uh, went to the city of Nob, uh, went to Abimelech, the high priest. Unfortunately, he saw Doeg, the villain, and he took off running, went to the Philistines, made a fool of himself. But then he went to the cave and began to uh, get right with God. And as he got right with God, God sent him men. Unfortunately, what had happened is that Doeg was hired or commanded by Saul, given permission by Saul, to kill the priest of the tabernacle and the whole city that was behind the tabernacle. And now David is now on the run again. But this time he's got 400 mighty men, or at least he did, that's going to increase in this text here. But notice with me, starting at verse 1, Psalm uh, 1 Samuel 23, verse 1. Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines fight against Keilah, and they rob the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go to smite the Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and smite the Philistines, and save Keilah. So David's got a group of mighty men now, and as uh, people are filing in and they're joining him, some people are told, reported to David, hey, the Philistines are back. 
The Philistines are fighting. Now, by the way, why are the Philistines back? Because David showed himself to be crazy. The reason why they weren't attacking before is because David, the slayer of Goliath, had killed Goliath, and they were afraid of him. They were afraid of him when he decided to march out and kill 200 of them to go give a special dowry to his future fallen-in-law. The Philistines were not doing anything to provoke David. Let's not mess with this guy, and so let's, let's not fight him. But now that David is now crazy, according to the Philistines, this is a guy that's scratching at the post, drooling on his beard, acting crazy. And the Philistines no longer have a fear of David and no longer have a fear of God. So now the Philistines are now emboldened to start attacking Israel again. What is David going to do? What is Saul going to do? And they begin to attack. As David hears this, he goes and asks God, God... They're attacking the city here. Should we go defend them? Should we go deal with this? And God says, go to it, David. So David turns around and goes to his men and said, guess what, guys? God has given us permission to go protect this town. And everyone was happy and rejoiced. Let's see what happens. Verse 3. And David's men said unto him, behold, we be afraid here in Judah. How much more if we come to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Now remember where they're at. They're hiding. And the people said, hey, wait a second. The reason why we're here is because we're afraid. The reason why we're in this cave is because we're hiding. And now you want to go march out and go fight the Philistines? Are you out of your mind? And David says, you know... Let me take this and let me go ask God again. Make sure I wasn't having pepperoni pizza and had a bad night. Let me go double check. So he double checks verse 4. And David inquired of the Lord yet again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into thy hand. So David and his men went to Keilah and fought the Philistines and brought away their cattle and smote them with a great slaughter. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. So David went back, asked God, God, you want me to go defend him? Yes. He goes down to Keilah, and everyone's going to be happy. Well, let's see. The second thing that we see is not only does David save Keilah, but David is betrayed by Keilah. David is betrayed by Keilah. Verse number six. And it came to pass when Abathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David to Keilah, that he came down with the ephod in his hand. So this is where the high priest's son escapes and he comes to David and reports everything that went on. David again says, oh, I knew that was going to happen. It was recorded in the previous chapter. But now he's got the high priest of God, the new high priest, since it was passed on through lineage, the high priest was killed. So the son is now going to be the high priest. And the high priest is not following Saul. He's now with David. So they're in Keilah. And now that David is out of hiding, everyone else knows that David is in Keilah. Verse 7. And it was told Saul that David came to Keilah. And Saul said, God had delivered him into my hand. For he is shut in by entering to a town that has gates and bars. In Saul's minds, the gates and bars were not to keep him out. It was to keep David in. He can't escape now. So Saul called all the people together to war and to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. Can you imagine that? Saul gathered his armies to go capture and kill David. He really hates David. Let's go, let's go destroy a whole town just to go get David. 
And David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him. And he said to Abathar the priest, Bring hither the ephod. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, thy servant hath certainly heard that Saul seeketh to come to Keilah to destroy this city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me unto his hand? Will Saul come down as thy servant hath heard? O God, Lord God of Israel, I beseech thee, tell thy servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will deliver thee up. Then David and his men, which were about six hundred, arose and departed out of Keilah, and went whithersoever they could go. And it was told Saul that David escaped from Keilah, and he forbore to go forth. So David hears that Saul's after him, and he says, You know what? This isn't good. So he asked God, God, is Saul coming? Yes. It's the men of the city. We just saved them. But are the men of the city, would they throw me to the wolves? Will they kind of toss me over the gates and say, here he goes, Saul. Here he is. And God says, yep. David says, all right. Well, see you guys later. He took off with all of his men. They rode out. It was told Saul that David escaped again. And so Saul kind of helped where he was at. So again, we're rushing through this. We're just <laughs> seeing what's going on historically. So David goes to save Keilah, and then he's betrayed by Keilah. So David flees to the wilderness of Ziph. That's the third thing here. David flees to the wilderness of Ziph. So notice with me in verse 14. And David abode in the wilderness in the strongholds and remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day. But God delivered him not into his hand. So David starts hiding in the mountains. And Saul is sending out people to look for David. And every time they get to a place they think David's at, David's gone. So he's playing hide and seek and the stakes are real. Verse 15, and David saw that Saul, that Saul was come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in the wood. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the wood and strengthen his hand in God. Now Saul is looking for David. But isn't it wonderful that God allowed Jonathan to find David? So one last time. David and Jonathan get together. They hug. And oh, I'm so glad to see you. And they make a deal. Saul, uh, Jonathan looks and says. Hey I know dad's going to try to kill you. But I also know you're the next king. I just want you to make me a promise. That you won't kill my kids. That you allow peace between them. Uh, allow friendship to go and of course both of them made it a covenant before the Lord verse 18 and David abode in the wood and Jonathan went to his house so they made an agreement David got to see Jonathan one last time and Jonathan took back off uh, and David's by himself well a nice small reunion a nice little uh, shot in the arm but then once again he's betrayed by Ziph. He's betrayed by the people of Ziph. Notice with me in verse 19. Then came up the Ziphites to Saul to Gibeah saying, Doth not David hide himself with us in the strongholds in the wood and the hill of Hekela, uh, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of thy soul to come down. And our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, Blessed be ye of the Lord, for ye have compassion on me. He's pretty good at pretending he's religious, doesn't he? 
Go, I pray you, prepare yet and know and see his place where his haunt is, where his hideout is, and who has seen him there, for it is told to me that he dealeth very subtly. What he's saying there is that, all right, before I come out, you make sure you get your eyeballs on David. Because every time someone looks for David, he disappears. David's subtle like that. He's crafty. He knows how to get out of there. So when you see where his hideout is, make sure that you see him. Look at him. Don't lose him. And then when you get him, have someone come get me. Saul's tired of playing hide and seek with David at this time. And so David hears that Saul's coming and he takes off once again, leaves the Ziphites, takes off running. And so now he hides once again. We see in the last part of this chapter that David hides in Monan, Moen. David hides in Moen. Notice with me in verse 25. Saul and his men went to seek him, and they told David, Wherefore he came down into a rock and abode in the wilderness of Moan. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Moan. And he went on this side of the mountain, and David and his men on the side of the mountain. And David hasted to get away for fear of Saul. For Saul and his men compassed David and his men round about to take him. So what happens is that David's running, Saul is after him, and they get to a mountain. David and his men are hiding on one side of the mountain, while Saul and his men are on the other side looking for David. And it's almost like a cartoon in my mind where as Saul's men are going around the mountain, David's kind of going on the other side and trying to stay away from them. And <clears throat> what happens is that Saul starts spreading out his men. And it's just a matter of time. David's on a mountain, nowhere else to go, that Saul and his men start circling around. And just when they're about ready to catch David, they hear news. What is the news they hear? Verse 27 but there came a messenger unto Saul, saying, Haste thee, and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Wherefore Saul returned from pursuing after David, and went after the Philistines. Wherefore they called the place Selahamalakoloth. Good, hopefully you can pronounce that better than me. And David went up from thence, and dwelt in the strongholds at Engedi. Now, that big long name is the Rock of Division. That's what it means. And it carries the idea that David is hiding from the other side of Saul and God kept that mountain in between them so that way Saul couldn't get to him. And so when Saul heard the news, they're about ready to catch David. And you know, it's almost like one of those cartoons or something that the person's hiding in the closet and they open the door and just as they're ready to look in, someone kind of says, hey, I need you over here. And so they walk away from the hiding place and now Saul has to go take care of the Philistines. He doesn't need the Philistines invading his land. So they leave and the person in the closet, whoo, and is able to escape out before anyone notices. And that's kind of what went on. So as you can see here in this account, this chapter, it's a lot of history, a lot of things going on. Not a lot of spiritual teachings in this as it's history. But one thing that we're seeing is that David is not having a good time. He's running for his life. He's now in charge of, not take, of taking care of 600 men. They're looking up to him for leadership. Everywhere he goes, he goes to help a town. He delivers them out of the Philistines and they want to go give them up. He goes hide somewhere else and the people are reporting him. He's not safe anywhere. Saul wants to kill him. He's hiding, doesn't have any place to call home, can't go to the Philistines. What do you do? 
And it was during this time that David continued to write psalms. During this time here that we read in this chapter, David wrote Psalm 16. David wrote Psalm 17. David wrote Psalm 54. And David wrote Psalm 63. If you don't mind, let's go back to Psalm 63. And as David is hiding for his life, as David has done nothing wrong, but people are trying to kill him, they're betraying him, what is it that David is saying? As you're turning to Psalm 63, remember I told you before that the titles of the psalm give us lots of clues of what's going on. For example, Psalm 54, it says at the very beginning, to the chief magician, uh, musician at Niganoth, Michelle, a psalm of David, when the Ziphilims came and said to Saul, doth not David hide himself with us? And it carries the same idea that David is looking up to God. Look with me in Psalm 63. Psalm 63, notice the title. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. So once again, he's hiding up in the mountains. He's trying to keep away from Saul. He's got 600 men that he's taking care of. What is David's attitude? What is David's view? What is David looking at? Well, notice again in verse number three. We're going to walk through this in just a second. But verse number three is the key. Because thy loving kindness is better than life. David is talking to God and he's saying, God, your loving kindness is better than life. What does that mean? It means this, that God is good even when bad things happen. That God is still good when bad things happen. David is saying, God, if nothing good ever happened in my life ever again, you are still good. If I never received another blessing from you, you are still good. If you would be honest with yourself, you would probably find that it is difficult to praise God when you're having a bad day. If you would be honest with yourself, when your bills are falling apart, your health is hurting, when it comes to the place where your family seems to reject you, when it comes to the place where you don't have a place where you feel comfortable, the work is going crazy, home is a war zone, this and that, can you still say that God is good? And that God is still right. Can you still say that God. You are still worthy of honor and praise and glory. Even though I'm going through this incident here. This is what this psalm is speaking about. Thy loving kindness is greater than life. That while David is being hunted. While David is in the wilderness. I want you to see the things that he says about God. In the midst of his troubles and trials. What is it that God, that David says, what is David doing while he's in the tribulations and the troubles? Notice with me, and we're going to run down this psalm as a list. Let's notice what David is doing while things are not going right. In the midst of the troubles and tribulations. Notice the first thing he did. He sought after God. He sought 
after God. Verse 1, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. Early will I seek thee. So the first thing that he did is he sought after God. In the midst of your hardships, this should be the first thing you do. I seek him early. This word early doesn't carry the idea of early in the morning, even though it could be applied that way. The idea of early means as soon as hard times hit me, I will go. As soon as hard times hit me, I'm going to look for God. Isn't it funny that it seems like the last thing we do is pray? We try to solve everything the way we want to. We try to fix it, squish it, manipulate, do everything. And then we finally go, well, the only thing I can do is pray. Well, the only thing that you could do is the best thing you could do. It's what we should have done in the first place. How many people's health problems would not be as bad as if they started praying for it at the very beginning of it rather than the end? How many's financial problems would be headed off if they prayed at the beginning of it rather than wait it till it fell apart? The principle is, is that we should not wait to look for God, to seek for God, to say God is good until everything else is exhausted. It should be the first thing we do. So in the midst of troubles and trials, what, was God, what did David do? He sought after God. He sought after God. Notice this, the second thing. In the midst of trouble and trials, what did David do? Well, he sought after God. Notice this, he also thirsted after God. He thirsted after God. Verse 1, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee, my soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. I thirsteth for thee. The idea of thirsting for thee has the idea of an intense desire. If you would be honest with yourself, when you're having a bad day, your flesh does not want to seek for God. When you're having a bad day, you don't want to read your Bible, but that's when you need it the most. When you're having a bad day, you don't want to pray. But that's when you need it the most. It says, early will I seek thee. And not only will I seek thee, I thirst for thee. I desire thee. It's not reading your Bible. Okay, well, I just need to get my Bible reading. It's, I need to read my Bible. I need to find God. I want this. I thirst for this. You know why sometimes we don't find God? Because we don't want to. You know, you could read your Bible and not find God. You could read your Bible as a checklist. It could be black and white words and you read it and kind of, okay, I don't have any clue what this said. Okay. But there's different when you're saying, God, I want to find you. I want you. I need you. I need your Bible reading will open up in an amazing way. You have to thirst for him to look for him. Notice if you don't mind in verse number two. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Verse 3, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Here's a third thing. In the midst of troubles and trials, David sought after God. He thirsted after God. He praised God. He praised thee. My lips shall praise thee. 
you know, we need to get in the habit when bad things happen that we still automatically say God is good and God is right. To praise him. Find something to praise God about. Even when you don't see anything. You say you don't understand. Everything's bad in my life. Is God still worthy of worship? You see this is the trial. God is on trial. You are the evidence. You are proving to Satan. That's what the whole book of Job is about. It was proving to Satan. That God was still worthy of worship. When everything else was going bad. Look at Job. He lost his wealth. He lost his kids. He lost his family. And he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. Naked I came out of the womb. Naked I shall, when I die, blessed be the name of the Lord. We should be able to praise God when you're having a bad day. David is seeking after God, looking for God, thirsting for God, praising God in the midst of a bad time. And a time that it doesn't look like it's going to get better. It's not like he sees a light at the end of the tunnel. I just have to wait until this is done. There was no end. The end, according to everyone else, is when Saul finally catches up to him. That was the end of it. He was waiting until Saul captured him. He's just trying to keep away from them. That doesn't look like a way out. There was no way out. There was no waiting until this one period hit. There was no waiting until I finally got my taxes back. There was no waiting until this person got out of office. There was no waiting until someone left the job. There was no way out. But he was still able to praise God in the midst of it. This is the idea of worshiping him. Is to seek after God. To thirst after God. To praise God, to say that God is still good and that God is still right when it doesn't look like things are going well. Can you still praise him? You know, the idea here is, is that if God never did anything good for you ever again, is he still worthy of worship? You understand, anything outside of hell is what we deserve. Sometimes we're so entitled. I deserve this. You do not deserve this. I deserve a house. You do not deserve a house. I deserve health. You do not deserve health. Outside of being saved, everything else is blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing. We deserve hell. How can we say we deserve something else when that's what we deserve? We don't deserve anything from God. And yet God has chosen to bless us abundantly. More than abundantly. He is worthy to be praised even if he did nothing else good for me. Ever again. He is still worthy of praise. That's why it says thy loving kindness is better than life. So in the midst of his troubles and trials... He sought after God. He thirsted after God. He praised God. Notice with me in verse number four. Thus, I will bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. We see that he also blessed God. God, I will bless thee. God is good and God is right. And you tell him he is right. That carries the idea of blessing. You're telling him how good he is. You're worshiping him. Notice if you don't mind as it goes on. Verse number 5. My soul shall be satisfied 
as with morrow and fatness. My mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. Verse number five, he was satisfied with God. We see that he sought after God. He thirsted after God. He blessed, praised God. He blessed God. And then he said, I was satisfied with God. Are you satisfied? The Bible talks about that godliness with contentment is great gain. Are you satisfied with Jesus? Is he enough? Is he enough? If Jesus was all that you had, would you be satisfied with that? Meaning, you don't have your home, you don't have your health, you don't have wealth. If all you had was Jesus, is that enough? The answer should be yes. Is he enough? Does he satisfy? If you had no television, could you still be satisfied? If you had no internet, no phone, could you still be satisfied? Is Jesus enough? Again, we're spoiled, rich, anemic, powerless Americans who think we're so entitled and deserve all this stuff that we think that stuff satisfies. And when we don't have the stuff, we complain. How do I know? Let your internet go down and see how frantically you start calling the company. You let your electricity go out and see how much you complain. Your water turns red like rust. Is God still enough? You see, we're complainers. You let some comfort hit us, and all of a sudden we're complaining. You let a law line be too long at McDonald's, and we're not satisfied. We're grumpy and angry and miserable because we're not satisfied with Christ and Him alone. Is God still good when the McDonald's line is out to the street? Is God still good if someone makes a mistake? Is God still good when someone cuts you out in traffic? Is God still good when he gives you a ticket for speeding? Is God still good? Are you still satisfied with him? Or do you murmur and complain because there's something you don't have? He's satisfied. Again, David's writing this in the midst of the hard times. He doesn't have television. He doesn't have a house. He doesn't have friends. He just has people who's following him because they have nothing else to do. They're, they're running for their own lives. His wife is gone. <laughs> Notice again. In the midst of trials and troubles, David sought after God. He thirsted for God. He praised God. He blessed God. He was satisfied with God. Notice with me in verse 6. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. Not only did he do all those things, he also meditated on God. The word meditate carries the idea of a cow chewing the cud. Kind of like when a cow eats grass, it eats the grass, swallows it, puts it in one of its stomachs, and then after a while it kicks it back up and chews on it again. It meditates on it. What are we meaning here? That if you have a time that you don't have to concentrate on something, what do you think about? Do you think about Jesus? Do you think about God? Or do you think about your favorite television show? When you have free time, what 
do you think about? What do you want to think about? You know, David could have been thinking about Saul and getting bitter towards Saul. And that's all he could think about was what Saul did. Have you ever been so mad at someone that's all you could think about? David was able to be to the place where he was thinking about God. When he would lay down in bed, no distractions. Remember, he didn't have Netflix on the background. He didn't have radio in the background. He's laying there getting ready to sleep. Campfire's going down. No one else around him. What does he think about? He thinks about God. What do you think about? Again, all of this is bringing us to the place. Thy loving kindness is better than life. Notice, if you don't mind, another thing that David brings up. Verse number 7. Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings I will rejoice. We see that he rejoiced in God's protection. He rejoiced in God's protection. Again, verse 7. Because thou hast been my help, God has helped him. Therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. The shadow of the wings carries the idea of a farm animal, like a chicken. And oftentimes, in a rainy day like we've had today... A chicken would put out her wings. The mama chicken, the hen, will put out her wings. And the baby chicklets will go underneath the shadow of her wings. And as she moves, the little chicklets move with her. And as long as they're underneath the wing, they're protected from the water. And David is saying, I've been one of those little chicklets. And I'm hiding under your wing. And you've given me protection. And David is recognizing all the things that God has done for him. Didn't God spare him from Saul time and time again? Saul's still trying after him, but he's saying, God, you've protected me. If we'd be honest, we look, God has protected us. And there's tons of things that God has protected us from that you don't even know about. How many car accidents were stopped because an angel got in the way of another car, made him stop? You don't know what's going on. How many times God kept your tire from going flat when it should have been flat? How many times God protected you from this and that? That God turned away someone who was disgruntled and they were going to your place of employment and God changed their mind, talked them out of it. God protected them. God protected. God is protecting you in ways you don't even know about. And David's acknowledging, God, you've been so good, you protected me. You've watched over me. And he's praising God for his protection. And again, what's mind-blowing is that David is running for his life. He is being hunted. And yet he's saying, thy loving kindness is better than life. If you don't mind, one last thing that David did. David sought after God. He thirsted for God. He praised God. He blessed God. He was satisfied with God. He meditated in God. He rejoiced in God's protection. But notice one last thing in verse 8. My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. We see in verse 8, he followed God. Probably one of the hardest things for us to do in the midst of heartbreak, in the midst of trouble, is to still be obedient to God. When it carries the idea of following hard, that carries the idea of right close behind. Serena, come here really quick. Let me give you an example. <laughs> when you follow someone, you could actually have different distance. All right? She could be way over there, 
And I could be here. And if she moves, I could follow her. And I could be like someone pretending not to follow. A couple car lengths away. But David is saying, I'm not following you far away. I'm following you close behind. I'm right there. That God, I'm not letting you get away from me. I'm following you. Whatever you say you're doing, I'm doing. Wherever you're going, I'm going. I'm following hard. That means close behind. There's no distance. He's determined to follow God. No matter what God says. He's willing to go behind. I'm right there behind. Sometimes our following God is very much delayed. God says do this and we have to think about it and wonder and look. And God's still moving forward. God is always moving forward while we're delaying and going, hmm, should I really do this? Okay, I'll take a step. And God, David says, no, I'm following. I'm following hard. I'm following right close behind. That wherever you go, God, I'm going with you. I need you. I have to be there because you're still good and you're still right. Thy loving kindness is better than life. That if nothing else ever happens to me good ever again, I'm still going to follow you. I'm still going to praise you. I'm still going to bless you. I'm still going to desire you. I'm still going to be satisfied with you. God, you are still good. It would be good for us to have a determination like this. What does it take for you to stop following God? What does it take for you to stop praising God? What does it take for you not to be satisfied with God? Think about that. How much does it get you for you to start complaining in your day? Coffee machine's broken. No! The person behind me is driving too slow. The copier at work's not working. What does it take for you to stop following God? What does it take for you to stop rejoicing in God? What does it take for you not to bless his name? What does it take for you not to be satisfied with him? You understand God doesn't change. He is always good and he's always right. Sometimes even the way that we speak makes it seem like God is not always good. Well, God's really been good to me lately. What's different from other days? God is always good. He is always right. He's always blessing you whether you see it or not. Just sometimes we're not looking at God and we're looking at the circumstances. And then we start getting our pity party. God's not good to me. God doesn't love me. He doesn't like me anymore. When God has never changed at all. David, he's running for his life. People are trading him up. People are reporting to Saul and say, there he is, go kill him. He's got spies watching him all the time. And yet when he lays down at bed, he's not thinking of Saul and he's not thinking of the traitors. He's thinking about God's still good, God's still right. What is it that occupies your mind? What is it that satisfies you? Thy loving kindness is better than life. 
Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.